Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Hey, good morning. Is Mr. Rob Susan done already? Well, I guess he caught me here making a cup of coffee, as I do every morning. For me, my morning's not complete until I get a good cup of coffee. For me, it's an essential, it's a necessary part of my morning. Some things I can get along without. You know, for example, shaving. Don't need to do it. It's not an essential. But a good cup of coffee with fresh ground beans, ah, to me, that's an essential. And this is how I've done it for years. Fresh ground coffee, hot water poured right over and straight into my mug. It can't be beat. It's the best cup of coffee. And for me, it's truly an essential. Mm. When I don't get a good cup of coffee like that, truly, I'll miss it. Now, I know it's a bit of a luxury, and I wouldn't melt away if I didn't have my cup of coffee. But it's a nice thing, and to me, it's an essential. For others, not really. They don't need coffee to start their morning. When it comes to the essentials, we all have varying ideas, don't we? Over the past six or seven weeks, there's been a lot of talk about essentials. Whose job is essential? What job function is essential? What items are essential to be sold? What items are not essential and can't be sold? In the state of Michigan, it's been a little bit confusing. Now, we are going to do our best to stay on top of everything, make sure that we're listening to what the state says, and as soon as we can be back together, we will. So keep uh, your keep yourself connected to our website or to our social media, and we'll let you know. Until then, there may be just some confusion some things that perplex us from time to time, and especially in this essential category. What is essential? Well, of course, there's anything that's related to medical help with the coronavirus. Now, that's been deemed absolutely essential, along with lottery ticket sales, beer and wine, liquor sales. They've all continued. Pregnancy-related procedures are essential. But unfortunately, that includes, as an essential procedure, abortion. And there's a whole host of other things that have been deemed not essential. Joint replacement surgery, well, that's an elective. It's not an essential. Don't go try to buy carpet or furniture or paint. They're not essential. Don't go to your favorite garden center or to your plant nursery. They've all been ordered closed. Your seeds and your annual plants, yeah, they're not essential. Now, you might agree or disagree with what's called essential. We all see these things a little bit differently. Yet, whether you agree or disagree, the distinctions still remain. Some things are essential. Now, when it comes to our Christian faith, the essentials have been discussed and debated really since the time of the ascension of Jesus. In the the early church, for example, There was a man named Marcion. Now, he lived in the second century. He was a rich guy. He was involved in shipping. He owned his own ship. He was very passionate about Jesus. 
but he was not impressed with what he read in the Old Testament. To him, the God of the Old Testament was arbitrary, capricious, harsh, and in no way represented the fatherly God that Jesus spoke of. Marcion was convinced. He was driven. He had resources. So he put together his version of the Bible. It had no Old Testament. It consisted of the writings of Luke and Paul, and he erased all the references to the Old Testament. Now, he was not successful in establishing his version of Christianity because, really, his version of the essentials, they weren't true and they weren't lasting. But he did spur on some who would compile the writings of the first century, the Gospels and the letters, and complete our New Testament. Now, there was another example later in the 4th century. There was a man, his name was Arius. Arius, too, had a passion for Jesus, but he couldn't grasp one thing. He could not comprehend that Jesus was God. Arius was convinced that Jesus had been created, that he was a created being really on par with the rest of God's creatures. The teachings of Arius became a catalyst for what is known as the Council of Nicaea. A group of church leaders met in the city of Nicaea to discuss the essentials of Christian faith and specifically to address the teachings of Arius. There was a man there, his name was Athanasius. He fiercely refuted what Arius taught. Athanasius insisted that Jesus was completely human and completely divine. Jesus is God who became man. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. This is the position that Athanasius took at the Council of Nicaea. And out of that council came a creed that summarized the essentials, refuting the false teaching of Arius. The Nicene Creed stood for a while. It was further condensed, though, after 50, 75 years, into what we call the Apostles' Creed. And that's a statement of the essentials of our Christian beliefs. And I think you all know it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. That creed not only succinctly summarizes our faith, but it outlines for us the essentials of Christianity. God is the creator of all things. He's not arbitrary. He's not capricious or harsh. He is a heavenly father. Jesus is God in the flesh. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. He was born of a virgin. That's divine. That's not natural. That's supernatural with the natural. And Jesus is the atonement for our sins. We find in him forgiveness. He was crucified for our sins. He died and was buried and he rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. 
God is alive. Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he sent his Holy Spirit to fill believers and to help us to, to stay in communion with one another as we live in this world and as we aim to fulfill the mission of Jesus, which is to add to the kingdom by sharing our faith, by being bold about our faith. So the Apostles' Creed offers us this great, succinct summary of our faith while reinforcing the essentials of the faith. Now, those essentials are the underpinnings of what we believe. They are, with the rest of what we believe, the foundation. They hold up all that is near and dear to us when it comes to what we believe about Jesus Christ. If we're not solid on what we call the essentials, then the rest of what we believe, it can waver. It can ebb and flow. It can be here one day. It can be over here the next day. And what happens? That leaves us prone to compromise and falling prey to false teachings that would pull us away from the truth and shake us from the real foundation of what it means to be in Christ. Let me show you an example of that. Let me show you an example. Our faith is like a building. It's strong and it's solid when it's founded on the truth. The essentials that don't change. The New Testament letters describe these essentials as a foundation. Our faith is like a building being built on a solid rock or a real strong footing. And this footing, this foundation is necessary. It's an important requirement and it's comprised of the essentials of our faith. These are things that we would never compromise on. It's on that solid foundation that our faith is built up over time. As we grow and we mature and we become stronger in what we believe. In the New Testament, the writers liken that to a building, like this tower I have here. And let's apply some of these examples of the essentials to my tower. As far as the essentials are concerned, when it comes to our Christianity, one is the Word of God. It's an absolute essential. It is part of our foundation. But I've received some comments from some about my Bible. I've been asked, hey, where's my paper Bible? But I always have a Bible with me, like this right here on my phone, an electronic Bible. And with it, I can find any scripture in over a dozen English language Bibles, when it comes to the essentials of our faith, the Word of God is absolutely essential. But whether I have a paper Bible or an electronic Bible, that's not really something that I would say is foundational. It's kind of higher up in my structure of Christianity, maybe near the top. So if I were to take that block out, that would be my paper Bible and put it aside, then my structure is really not affected. It doesn't affect my salvation. It doesn't affect my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not going to alter my eternal destination because I still make the word important. It's foundational and it's always at my fingertips. However, if I were to compromise and say that Jesus isn't the only way of salvation, 
Perhaps I'm influenced by the culture, New Age people like Oprah Winfrey and others who would press that salvation can be found in a variety of ways. The way to God is like a spoke in a great big wheel where God is the center or the hub. And all these spokes that are different lead to the same God. Jesus is just one of those spokes. Jesus isn't the only way. Maybe I'm affected by that teaching, so I need to pull that out of my foundation. It's no longer really an essential that Jesus is the only way. So I take that block out, and my tower shudders a little bit. It's not as strong as it was. But what about another essential of the faith? What if I begin to compromise on something else? Maybe I'm influenced by those who would say that my God is the same God as the God of Islam. We just call him different names, but really it's the same God. Well, that's not the case. My God is the living God, the triune God. He is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He does not change. He is the God that is three, yet one. Where in Islam does that say that? In Islam, there's one God separate from Jesus. Jesus is just a prophet. Jesus is not God. So there's a distinction. The God of Islam is not the God of Christianity. And if I begin to believe that false teaching and I peel out another essential element that's foundational to my faith structure, what could happen? If I take that piece out, that's what could happen. Do you see what can happen if we compromise? Or we let go of those underpinning principles of our faith, the essentials, it can be our ruin, like a building collapsing. It's times like we're living in right now that can rock our foundation and can shake us from our moorings. As much as we can see God's hand in difficult times, our enemy, the devil, would want to shake us from our faith in Jesus. And no better time than uncertain times when there is so much unknown, and that drives fear, and that drives questions and doubt. So we need to be solidly established in our faith, and that means that we know the essentials, we hold firm to them, and we do not waver from them. Now, the essentials that our government has laid out before us, what we can buy, what we can't buy, who can go to work, who doesn't get to go to work, These so-called essentials are contradictory. They're fluid. They can change. What is non-essential today? Well, that might be essential tomorrow. It's imperfect, as mankind is imperfect. But the essentials of our faith, they do not change. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it, and stand firm on the unchanging principles of our faith. This was the word of God to the church in Corinth from the Apostle Paul. In his first letter to the church in the city of Corinth, chapter 15, Paul opened with a reminder. This is verses 1 and 2 from 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, 
if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Hold firmly, wrote the apostle. Hold firmly to the gospel. Stand firm on it, lest what you believe is in vain. Your faith is in vain, the apostle wrote. You have to believe the gospel. But what is this gospel he wrote about? Paul went on. The next two verses, verses 3 and 4, and he said this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. There's a bit of a creed here, isn't there? Paul wrote, These things are of first importance. In other words, they're essentials. On Easter, I spoke of the foundational aspect of the resurrection. If you don't believe in the resurrection, your faith is in vain. But it's only one of the things in Paul's list. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The resurrection is in there, and it is of first importance. But Paul also wrote about the scriptures, the word of God, and the atonement for sin. Christ Jesus died for our sins. That's another part of our foundation. He was buried. He gave his life. That's an essential. He was raised. Of course, an essential. This is a summary of the gospel by which you were saved. Hold firmly to it. Don't let your faith be in vain. This was a theme of the apostle, which he carried through in other of his writings. He wrote a letter to his friend Timothy. In the opening lines of his first letter to Timothy, Paul encouraged his friend to stand firm in his faith. He he reminded Timothy that there were many false teachers in the city of Ephesus, and their doctrines were deceptive. They were promoting controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Paul wrote, They do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. At the end of that first chapter, Paul gave an exhortation to Timothy to hold firmly to his faith. Don't be like those people, Paul wrote, who have suffered a shipwreck with regard to the faith. That's 1 Timothy 1.19 a shipwreck of faith. Then Paul named two individuals, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who had shipwrecked their faith. And we don't want to be like them. We don't want to have shipwrecked faith. And that's not so much different than a tower falling or a house sinking in sand. It's faith in vain. No, we want to be strong in our faith. And that means having a firm foundation not wavering from the essentials, no compromise, no letting our foundation be watered down to suffer erosion and then collapse. Keep our faith firm. We began this year, 2020, talking about faith. Our care pastor, Barry Allen, gave a message on the last Sunday of December, 2019, and it was all about faith. He challenged us 
to be strong in our faith. Not, not having a name it, claim it type faith, but having a faith like the men and the women of faith listed in Hebrews chapter 11. They all lived by faith. Faith that was connecting them to God. It was faith that their sight could not give them. Faith that connected them without all of their senses. Faith that kept them in a relationship with God. Now, Barry encouraged all of us to read Hebrews 11 and be inspired to live by faith. I read Hebrews 11 a few times, and the examples of faith in that chapter are humbling. Was there ever an edict that our newborn sons should be killed as it was for Moses' parents? Now, who among us has faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment? Who among us has wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground, all the while keeping our faith? That's the description of the people who lived in Hebrews chapter 11. And what they went through, it makes what we're going through sort of look like a walk in the park. Yet, even so, our faith might be challenged. We might doubt. The essentials that form our foundation might come under attack. Don't give the enemy a foothold. The first Sunday of 2020, following up on Barry's message on faith, I talked to you about faith in the context of time. I quoted Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. At the set time, when that set time had fully come, God sent his son. In that message, I said, if you're waiting for something and it seems like the pause button has been pushed on something that you've been longing for, God knows the best time, his set time. So keep on waiting and live by faith now, today, in this time. I had no idea on that first Sunday back in January that a major pause was coming for all of us. A test of faith. Well, let's keep living by faith. Faith in God the Father Almighty, creator of everything, who sent his Son, the divine Jesus, to become a man, to give his life on a cross as a ransom for our sin. Jesus died. He was buried. And he left his tomb. He walked out of it, resurrected and alive. And he sent to us his Holy Spirit, to help us, to be with us, to walk with us in this life, and to help us through times like right now. Stay firm in that faith that you will not suffer shipwreck or collapse. Perhaps today, recite the creed. Remind yourself why you believe each point of faith. Revisit the main points of your faith, the faith founded on the unchanging, essential principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we pray that our faith would remain strong through these times that might challenge us, that might press us, where the culture would say to us, we're foolish for believing in God and trusting in Him. Lord, may we stay firm and stay strong. 
If any of us have thought to compromise our faith, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to that person's heart, that you would lift them up, that you would give them the assurance that you are with them. God be with us all. Thank you, Lord, for your great grace. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he gave his life for us and that we have eternity in him to look forward to. What a great, great promise. Thank you, God, for that. Even in these times, we say thank you. Now, God, I pray you would bless your people. Bless them and keep your hand upon them. Lord, keep them strong. Keep them faithful. And God, if anyone should come across our path that doesn't know you and is asking questions, Lord, may we have a ready answer to talk to them about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, bless us all with that. And I pray, Lord, you would bring us all back together soon. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.